This is a question that was posted on VNR number 60, which was the episode about 275 snatch, sub seven row, and the pull-ups. That was a fun one. Fun discussion. If you haven't checked that one out, go go do it. That was a fun little debate. And we got it. Actually, it's interesting reading the comments on that, not to start on a tangent, Mm -hmm. but here we are, uh, and see where people sided and to see if people had changed their minds after listening through what we had to say about it. So that was a fun episode. Go, Go check it out if you haven't. I enjoyed that one a lot. I'm glad everybody else did. Yeah. This was posted in the comments there from Ben J. And he says, Adrian and Pat, I have a question for both of you that I think has been a major topic of interest lately. I know as a garage gym athlete, I try to fully understand the movement standards and hold myself to those standards. When I see clear, at least to my untrained eye, clear violations of the movement standards by an official judge who counts those reps, it starts to erode the mentality of completing every repetition to standard, especially when the only person watching is you. I know that Adrian has previously been the no rep sheriff, so I'm curious (laughs) to hear both of your thoughts on the current state of judging in uh, CrossFit, and then he mentions a specific competition, a specific lane, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the general question. Here's going to be my um, quick little comments, ideally received in a positive and warm and friendly manner. So, Beck, we are going to address one of your questions, not the others. You know, full range of movement. And why or why not somebody, even working out alone in their garage, may want to adhere to something like that. The other part, what's going on in a certain lane, in a certain competition, or if a particular judge or official did or didn't make a good call, we're not going to address that. And we're not going to address it because I feel it's a sticky or a hand grenade, like I genuinely don't care, quite frankly. But that's just not the point of this podcast. There are tons of shows that they're dedicated to the sport of CrossFit, and we'll dive into that. We try to focus the overwhelming majority of our content to what benefits the garage gym, the the coach, the trainer, the client, all that good stuff. And so, not to disappoint you, but we're not going to go down the, the competition rabbit hole or, you know, what a judge did or didn't do. So that's, that's my little lead yeah. in there. I think that's a great lead in, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that you know, the sports talk aspect of CrossFit, the sport, plenty of outlets for that. And uh, yeah, I don't think our podcast in particular is uh, is focused on that. So, but I within that question, there are some philosophical elements that I find really interesting and I think are non-negotiable well. in my opinion. Well. And so I think it's a great lead into some uh, core tenets that people should be at least, maybe they don't agree with me, but at least they should have them in the back of their mind <laughs> when they're getting down to it. Okay, well, this could be good. You said some people may yeah. not agree with you. You know, you and I haven't oh, they'll agree. chatted they'll agree. <laughs> previous to this, you know, but maybe this will be the big one that you and I have a big divergence on. So we'll, so we'll see. Do you I want doubt to, it. Do you want to start? <laughs> you want me to kick off? Yeah, well, let's start. I'll start. Let's start from the top. Why full range of motion? Because that's what a movement standard really is trying to do. It's trying to create a range of motion that is 
able to be replicated across a field of athletes so that you can have an apples to apples comparison if you're looking at how long it took people to do it or how many reps they could do, et cetera. That's it. It has no bearing on best execution of the movement for mm. training effect necessarily. That is something that you look at key points of performance and dig in on that end. So I think there's a big distinction to be made right off the bat. A movement standard that's often used for competition, that's great. It's just there to make it even across the board as much as possible. That's it. The uh, effect that you want to get from the movement doesn't necessarily part over, port over to that movement standard. And that's really, really important. So if you take that a step further and you think like, well, why do I care about performing the movement correctly, mm -hmm. whatever that standard happens to be, whether it's for competition or for my training effect or whatever, why, why do I care? And it ha the answer, in my opinion, has to be because that's the way it's expected. It, uh, it's, I'm sorry, I'm not being clear. The answer has to be deeper than that's what's expected of me. Right, yes. There has to be more to it than that, and, and both on a personal level and on a physiological level. And so that's where I'm going to lead. And I've got plenty to say on both sides of that house. Uh, but I want to kick it to you for a second to see what your opener is. Yeah, so, okay. Hmm. Um, you know, this individual, Beck, describes themselves as a garage gym athlete. Great. So am I. Cool. So I'm right, right there with you. So now, for me personally, uh, you know, I personally don't, understand the point of view and i have a tough time relating to it and that doesn't mean that it's valid right everyone's you know we live in a wonderful world you can have whatever point of view that you want and and what i mean by that is in my opinion you know reading what beck wrote and, and wrapped up there is hey i'm a garage gym athlete I'm, I'm a regular individual trying to trying to do it right i think i got a good idea of what good movement is what bad movement is what full rom is what what not full rom is and then I see somebody on a more professional stage doing it and or not doing it, I should say, based upon what I can mm. see. And now I walk into my garage and I'm like, why should I do it? I have a very tough time just relating to that. I see the two things as utterly and completely different. And, and what, from my perspective, is like, if I know what is right and I know why I'm doing what I'm doing, I understand what the benefits are and I have a feeling we're going to go down that road. And then I mm -hmm. see somebody else not doing that. Uh, that doesn't have really any bearing or drive as to what's going to change my behavior when I go into the garage that day. If I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, and then I see so-and-so in lane something doing something different, I find it tough to articulate how much I don't care what happened in lane five. I just mean, like, lane five has no impact on my long-term health and fitness. Uh, what happened in lane five doesn't change the underlying reasons as to why the methodology is sound. What happened in lane five doesn't change whether or not I'm, I'm preparing myself to be capable for everything happening in life. And they, all those things are utterly, completely irrelevant. And I don't, in general, and so again, this, I don't want this to come off the wrong way. Beck, this is not, you know, <laughs> if you were, if you were here, you'd be like, no, 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 you're, you're taking it a different, a different, a different path. So fair is fair, but you know, reading it just as I read it, I don't, if I see somebody doing something else, quote unquote, wrong. So let's just also for a second say that what this individual observed, they're right. 
it actually was wrong, didn't meet the movement standard, bad things were happening, they shouldn't have happened. I don't think it's like, well, so-and-so did something wrong, so now I'm giving myself the green light to do something wrong. That is also personally not how I want to roll on planet Earth. Um, so So that in and of itself is why the basis of it I, I have a tough time relating to it because just because I see an athlete doing something squirrely, I don't think that means that I should do something squirrely. So that's kind of where I'm starting. Yeah. And that, I think that articulated really well, the personal side of the house as to why, you know, what else is going on around you doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And I totally agree with you that if you have a clear picture as, as to why it's important to do these things, regardless of what other people are doing, um, it makes it that much easier when you are faced with the decision on your own. And eh, do I short these couple of reps or do I stop, take a breather and get them done right? Mm-hmm. Um, so from the kind of personal side of the house, I, I agree with everything you just said there. So if, if we start thinking about the physiological side of the house, which in my opinion is the bedrock, this is the reason that we train. This is we the want, why. Correct. We want the benefit that this training confers to us as human animals that is the big picture. And so if we look at it through that lens, function first is the message that I keep coming back to. And if you think about that over a timeline of not days and weeks and months, but years and decades, and we start thinking about just a simple movement like an air squat. And in day one, week one, month one, year one, my depth is really solid. It's looking great. Hips are dropping below parallel every single time. I've got awesome upright posture. Things are moving the way they should. But I see some people around me like, hey, you know what? They don't, they don't quite take it as deep as I do. Maybe I should <laughs> also not take it as deep. Uh-huh. And so year two, I start raising my squat up to, to try to kind of mimic what I see going around me. And, and this continues year three, year five, year 10. Eventually, if I keep following that trend and I stop squatting below parallel because it no longer is something that is culturally uh, popular, what I'm also sacrificing is my own ability to squat to parallel when it is demanded of me. Yes. And that is the big ticket item that you want. It's like, hey, man, on the timeline, I want my air squat at 23, if not to be the same at 63 damn close, as close as I can possibly make it. And when I start eroding that for arbitrary reasons, in my opinion, such as like, well, I saw somebody else do it or well, you know, like these guys go really fast doing it that way. Um, you're throwing a lot out and you got to be aware of that. And I think that to me is the most important elephant in the room that like, Hey, what are you really training for? Cause I know for me personally, you know, the days of me being uh, competitive in any other realm other than like, I love to do the open. I love to work out with my friends. I love to talk smack. But like <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> I am under no illusion that I'm competing with anybody other than myself. And, and through that lens, it is not worth throwing out that hardcore beneficial training effect for you know some perceived benefit on the clock or perceived benefit because that's what's culturally acceptable within the sport aspect of CrossFit today. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and I'm not quite sure how old uh, Beck is, but, you know, father time creeps in, and, you know, depending upon your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or beyond, 
a lot of things like, you know, as a general rule, now maybe not everybody I can't, you know, paint with a broad brush, but I'm about to. As a general <laughs> rule, most people are going to have a greater range of motion in their 20s than they will in their 70s. It just, it's one of those use it or lose the things where it starts to erode over time if you're not just continually trying to grease that groove. That's going to happen no matter what. So in my humble opinion, like you said, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep my range of motion as large as possible, as beneficial as possible for as long as possible, because every day that I wake up, Mother Nature's trying to steal it from me. And so <laughs> I have, it's a fight. It is a daily, daily fight. And I, you know, now in my mid 40s, I have lived this and I, all of my friends would probably say that it's also occurring as well. And if you have been the recipient of uh, an injury or two, mm. that's only going to make that, um, it's going to amplify that, if you will, you know, and I, yeah, I've, you know, busted my pelvis about 20 years ago. And what's going on with the right side of my body, which is the quote unquote bad side, is significantly different than the left side of my body. And it has not gotten better as the years go on. Let me let that cat out of the bag. And that is with me continuing to embrace functional movements and to try to express the fullest range of motion possible with discipline and dedication every day, that range of motion is still deteriorating. Like it just occurs. So if now, if that was happening and I was like, eh, I'm just going to do what I think is the absolute bare minimum possible, I would be in an even worse or less capable situation than I am right now. And so I would just, at, if competition never existed, that's how I would want somebody to think about what is appropriate when I walk into the garage every day. There's no social media. There's no big time fast athlete for you to look at that just barely met the range of motion so they didn't get a nerve. That, that would, could never enter your brain. You could only think of, like you said, this human organism, this human animal, what is the most effective way to train this organism for the longest capacity, the most utility, it, that, is, that is how you should approach your workouts. And if doing that makes you a little bit slower, then so be it. And what I mean by that is true. If you are so astonishingly precise that you can squat in, now I just said, I said not to pay attention to competition, now I'm going to say competition again. <laughs> you know, that you're in a competition, you can just be a fraction of an inch below parallel and every single one counts. And then your person next to you, who's your exact height, weight, dimensions, they're just your clone, they're just going butt down to the floor five inches lower every time. Well, yeah, over the set of 30 repetitions, you're probably going to pull ahead on the clock. You're probably going to accomplish that faster. I would get that out of your brain. When you're in your garage, if you can do do the, the deepest squat possible while maintaining proper fundamentals and mechanics, that is the squat that you want to embrace. And if that means that over the course of, since you did that on every thruster on Fran, that your Fran was 11 seconds slower, you're going to be okay. And in the long run, you're going to be a better, happier, healthier human being that would be my my kind of, you know, throw that out there for everyone to just kind of, ideally, that's what they would pursue. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and so, you know, why? Why is that so important? You can look at specifics, the specifics of joint health, like you mentioned, you know, it, it, trying to stave off the inevitable decline is a big part of, I think, why mm-hmm. we all train uh, at some point in our lives. Maybe not when you're first uh, getting into it and just gung-ho and and you know, ready to crush the world. That's great. But if you're, if you're if, 25, it seems like it ain't never going to happen to you. But it, <laughs> and it's not to be fatalistic about it. But no, no. the reality is, is that after a certain amount of time, you're like, oh, wait a minute. The benefit of this in the long haul is way more than what I had originally gotten into this for in the first place. And and that's cool that it can continue to evolve with you as your mindset changes. I think that's that's awesome. Um, but you know, you mentioned that whole idea of deterioration over age. Um, I, I'd just like to point out, my wife says this all the time that, you know, the difference between somebody's basic level of flexibility at 25 versus 65, let's say, um, it, it has less to do with the 40 year span that occurs between those two ages and way more to do with the time of those 40 years that was spent in dysfunction. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that like time you've been sidelined from injury or time that you've been like, you know, unmotivated to train. That means like the time that on average you spend just sitting around versus actually moving your body through space. The time on average that you've spent ingesting things that are healthful and helping your uh, organism mm-hmm. versus those that are harmful. And, and when you start to stack up those two time frames the time spent in dysfunction becomes the critical element there. And so anyway, just kind of a tangent there that that was jogged as uh, you were talking about that. But to get back to it, again, if, if we take the squat as a basic example, when I squat through a full range of motion, I am promoting joint health, not just of one aspect of my lower body, but for a lot, my ankles, my knees, my hips are all working through a very full range of motion if I'm doing it well with my posture in mind, my thoracic spine is also going to be challenged at the bottom, particularly same with the lumbar spine. And there's a whole host of things going on there that may not be readily apparent just at first glance. Balance is another thing that's being stressed. Even, you know, again, we get to the point where we're doing hundreds of air squats. You don't think about it so much, but there's a big balance component to that. There's a functional flexibility Mm -hmm. component to that. All of that starts to get eroded at the point that you think, eh, I just want to go a little bit faster. And I'll say one thing too, this will be a little Easter egg for the competitors out there. I think that it's interesting in this era of where CrossFit for the sport end of things has gotten, people have started to lose the plot, in my opinion. The original philosophy of CrossFit is whose training methodology allows them the best chance at adapting to something they could not have trained for specifically. Whose fitness program is the broadest so that when they are met with a challenge that they couldn't have anticipated, they can still excel. And by always looking at, I know this is how things are going to be um, looked at during a competition, ergo, that's the only way I train. I think you're doing yourself a huge disservice. You are starting to narrow the focus of what you're capable of, and you're going to be more and more upset when something beyond what you thought was necessary in training is presented to you either in competition or in life. So I think even just from a basic philosophical level, you're starting to invert what the whole point of CrossFit was in the uh, inception of it. I've got a a quick story. 
please. I love and your the, stories. <laughs> <laughs> and to protect the innocent, no names, no names shall be revealed. This yeah. was uh, many years ago. This was maybe, let's say, six years ago or something like that. I was in a gym and there was a games athlete in the gym. I was working out in a much less impressive manner than they were. They And this was like in the off season. It's not like, yeah. you know, I think it was right around the corner. And they were doing some front squats with an impressive loading. And we're, I was friendly with them, not super close, but friendly. And, you know, so we were chatting a little bit between sets. And I asked it somehow. I can't remember how I brought it up. But basically, they were front squatting to, as you know, you know, for a long time, my job was to, you know, watch movement and things like that. I love when seminars and I was kind of in that zone. Their squats were what I would call the most ambiguous gray area that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, and I just found it odd, right? Especially from somebody mm. trying to be like the literal top tier in, in the sport. Sure. So I was like, you know, I can't remember how I said it, but like, if you don't mind me asking, uh, and because I knew this person also was very flexible. I just, I've seen them move mm. for a fact. And I was like, I know that you can just go all the way down. How, why aren't you front squatting like that? And the answer came back super fast. Like, I don't have to do that in competition. So why would I, why would I do that? I'm just going to hit parallel and come right back up. And I didn't feel, I was off the clock, boss. So I didn't feel like getting into it. But in my head, I got the bit of a, a vibe that I don't think it was going to be re well received anyway. So I was like, oh, cool, sure. great. Yeah. But in my mind, I was like, wrong for, or, or in effect, for so many reasons that we've already covered. But then I also just had it in my head as like, you know, if you were my athlete and I happen to be your coach, mm. we're training you for competition. And I know that you've got the safe, wonderful, flexible range of motion to go much, much deeper than you were. I would not allow you to squat just to the gray area like there because, well, maybe you get by with that in a series of heavy front squats. Maybe, right? But what happens if something pops up at the games and it's under fatigue and there's a squat clean ladder or something and all, all of a sudden you're receiving a significantly heavy load at a range of motion that, from what I can tell, is largely untrained in you. And now mm. you struggle to come out of the bottom because we haven't been strengthening that all year long. It's like I did nothing about it made sense to me. It's like strengthen the full range of motion. And then if you have such amazing body awareness. Well, okay, when you're on the clock, no need to go further than you have, but we're in a training environment in the off season. Like, yeah. let's do everything we can to make, again, this human organism as capable as possible for the greatest range of motion possible. And then if we have to hold back at some time in the future, because it makes sense in an artificial competition environment, we'll do that. But that wasn't happening just that day. And so it was just another one of those things that logged in my head as, a difference between recreational CrossFit, competitive mm -hmm. CrossFit, or maybe not even a difference, but how I wouldn't want that to seep into the head of the recreational athlete is, oh, this high-level competitor did this, thereby default, it is the proper thing to do. That would be that would be something I just wouldn't want somebody to connect the dots on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I, uh, I, I agree with all of that. And, uh, I do, you know, I, all I can think about when you're telling a story like that is, um, something that I heard from Louis Simmons years ago, RIP Louis recently, um, 
sad day for strength sports. But, uh, you know, regardless, uh, we were in Columbus, Ohio in 2009. We're lucky enough to do some uh, workshops with, with Louie and his crew back then. Mm. And, you know, he's a controversial figure in the, in the strength sports world. Um, but he had some absolute gems as far as ideas to keep in the back of your mind when you're training. And one of the things he kept coming back to was, yeah, it, just like you mentioned, when you're in a training environment, you want to make it harder than it should be. So that when you show up in the competitive environment, you're like, oh, that's it. That's all I'm demanded of. Or that's all that is demanded mm -hmm. of me. Fine. I'm overprepared for that. Not the other way around. And uh, that's something that really stuck with me. And, and I do think that sometimes um, you know, athletes have kind of, in my opinion, they, they're starting to get so hyper-specific about certain things. And comma, then they get a little bit riled up when there's something more demanding that is required of them. And it's like, hey, you did this to yourself. But <laughs> to, switch the, <laughs> to switch the conversation back over to um, kind of the average person, yeah, I think that there's nothing harder than the game of life, Pat. Nobody makes it out alive. And so for that reason, I think that all of us should hold ourselves to that high standard when we're training solo because of the benefit that is offered from that style of training, not because we're trying to you know, put a nice time on the whiteboard in the garage that nobody's going to see anyway, frankly. Right. Yeah. The, the competition aspect is wonderful. And it is one of yeah. the beauties that, you know, Greg Glassman came up that I think he's, you know, was quoted saying that, you know, men, men will die for points. I'm sure women will as well. But the power of the whiteboard, the power of competition helps drive intensity, yeah. helps, helps push people further. All it can be a huge motivator. Yes. For sure. All yeah. excellent things but not the end-all be-all for every decision that you should make regarding your training or how you move your body. I guess that's kind of the my little uh, final point there. I don't know if you've got anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess the other thing I would say for the average person is that um, you know when you are doing benchmark workouts, you are looking back at a past performance to determine if you are making progress or not that's the lens you got to look at it through. It's not, can I shave an extra second off because I'm approaching this movement with a, the intent to do just the bare minimum of what I think is required of me. It's an honest look under the hood to say, has the past X amount of training actually been effective? That is really what I'm looking at when I'm comparing, let's say, a Helen time from six months ago to a Helen time today. That's it. That's what it is. It's a little window into that into that uh, uh, training effect. Um, and so if the focus becomes, how do I at all costs get this number down? You're not asking the right question, in my opinion. The question should be, has my training benefited everything that I want it to so that when I come back to this thing that I haven't even touched in whatever amount of time, it is better despite the fact that I haven't really been focusing on it. So I think that's my last uh, my last little piece there, the, the philosophy, make sure that that is understood before you start uh, digging in on some of these um, offshoots that, that can creep in. 100%. Well, Beck, thank you for the question. Like, truly, thank you for yeah, the question. For there, sure. there was a lot there. And I think there's, and I hope that it helps not only yourself, but other individuals when they walk into the garage. And you're right. No one's looking. You could, you could, do whatever you wanted well or poorly. I think there are profound and important reasons as to why you should embrace something like full range of motion. So hopefully that 
came across here in the show. Let's, before I, I close this out here, and I don't know if this is a, is this a workout day for you or a rest day? Oh, no, I'll be working out in a little bit here. What I are you going to do? Uh, Tell man. everyone, what's, what's your workout today? Boy, oh boy, Pat, I have, uh, <laughs> well, it's, uh, talk about doing it to yourself. I was going to get up early. It's, it's getting really hot these days out here uh, in Tennessee. And I was all set to get up this morning and get it in before the heat really got bad. And then I got busy. And now it's going to be late afternoon before I get some training. And I have some, uh, some rowing intervals that I'm oh, supposed to be doing. Boy, And I'm very much <laughs> trying to get my mental headspace correct to uh, know that I'm just going to be sitting there sweating and suffering in the, uh, in the thickness that is the Tennessee summer. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so something that's good for you, but you may not necessarily look forward to. Yeah, I was, I was actually really inspired by our um, 2K rower uh, hypothetical question in that episode we mentioned at the top of the show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, I, I haven't been uh, paying attention to that side of the house as much as I think I need to be. So <laughs> I've got to get myself out of my comfort zone. Today is a long chipper. And okay. I'm not a big fan of chippers. Got to do them, but I'm not a big yeah. fan. And I think it is a 1.5 mile run is what it starts off with. So everyone's happy there. Mm. Then 100 double unders, 80 V-ups, 60 kettlebell swings, and 40 chest-to-bar pull-ups. Mm. That's a so, lot of reps. Ugh. <laughs> well, yeah. there's, some fresh, luck. there's some fresh banana bread in the house, and I think that will be probably the perfect <laughs> both pre and post workout <laughs> meal. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so as always, like we say, hey, this is what Adrian and I obviously think about the topic, you know, full range of motion, what you're doing, you're working out, the whys, great. However, what do all of you think? You know, let's make everybody better through collectively sharing our ideas. So whether you're listening to this in an audio format, I encourage you to go to the BTWB YouTube channel find this episode and in the comments, leave your thoughts, your questions, your concerns. Obviously, we, we answer a tremendous amount of questions from the viewing and listening audience. And so we would love to hear your question as well. So that's it. Thanks for the support, everybody. For Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.